0: Thank Blog Talk Radio.
1: Having me mad. This is Chuck Schwartz, this Radio with Chuck and Patrick, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. Welcome to the program. Uh, yours truly, Chuck Schwartz, along with Dr. Patrick O'Hepenin, emanating from Los Angeles. Patrick, how are you?
2: I'm pretty good. And of course, it uh t- today's Friday, so in the second half of the show, it's Music Friday, which is where we have the Jungle Drums from. <laughs> What is the, uh, mu- well, who's our musician today, Patrick? Uh, actually, we uh, we don't have a musician today. We have a woman who takes those pesky kids who uh, play uh, bad rock music in their garages and turns them into real bands.
1: Speaking of this. pesky, speaking of bad rock—well, I wouldn't say bad rock—but um, last night I had to see a movie called Rock of Ages. I've been um, avoiding it. How was it? <laughs> Well, the reason I say I had to see it is because my sister-in-law is the producer.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> so,
1: yeah. And so, and or she produced the play, the Broadway show, and then the movie. Uh, you know, she she has a credit on the movie, and so I had to see it with my wife, and unfortunately with my daughter, who I wish she didn't see it, but she kind of had to see it because of all this family pressure over it. Right. I'm glad. I'm glad it's over with. It's depraved. It's just. It's I mean, look, as an adult, it's fine. I I actually liked it as an adult. (laughs) I mean, it reminded me of the 1980s. It was fine. But it's filled with all kinds of disgusting, depraved images and and, uh, satanic uh, references and and a lot of gratuitous sex and just an overall vulgar, disgusting party. Uh, There's some redeeming value to it. I mean, I'm not saying it's totally bad. There's a there's a reasonable romance in it, where you know people you know get together. You yeah, know it's fine, but but for the most part it is a colossal waste of time. Although I enjoyed it, and I, I actually liked the movie. I mean I thought it was so to me as an adult I liked it uh, in a sort of a simplistic, almost a a, a, a fallback to a juvenile time way. You know, and, and I mean I don't. It, it's not the kind of movie that makes you don't you to think too much on it. You know, it's a <laughs> and you know I I like I like the occasional comedy or something light. But uh for the most part I, I would say that um if you have kids avoid it. Avoid it like the plague. Well it, it sounds like you like the movie but not the rating. Right. Right. And 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 my daughter has said to me um the same thing that uh, that Planned Parenthood change agent said during the time she presented sex education to uh, to the school. And that is well, Daddy. This is I see this stuff all the time, anyways.
0: <laughs> well, oh. and
1: now now we know where. <laughs> no, you see it everywhere. It's all over the place. You know, there's you, you, in Boston. You turn a, a corner, on the street, and you see these enormous billboards with very scantily clad young people. Well, let me and, ask that, you this. Um, uh, uh, I, I have not been planning on seeing it just because the marketing
2: uh, that I've seen did not look particularly uh, interesting. Uh, was
1: it? If it hadn't been for the child issues, would you have enjoyed it? Yeah, I liked it personally, but I'm of course I'm in my fifties, Patrick. I mean, it's a perfectly fine for an adult,
2: uh-huh. even
1: though it, it's not the, the the happier side of life. It's not exactly you know, you know the, the sort of values that I I I choose to to embrace for sure. But nevertheless, I mean, in, in a naturalistic way, it was an accurate slice of life from the 1980s, and some of the characters did capture that. I mean, as it, but it showed the dark side of that. But for me, you know, as an adult who can make reasonable decisions and understands what's right and wrong and all that good stuff, it's fine. I just don't think it's for young people. But, it, okay. but that's what's on to it.
2: All right well see, my wife wants to to see it and i like i say i it hasn't been high on my my list but um uh there it is. we need to take um um a, a break and when we come back uh you can uh, introduce our uh radio uh audiences, so here we go.
1: radio with Chuck and Patrick. I'd like to welcome aboard our our affiliate stations, WWPR-AM in Tampa Bay, Florida, and KSKQ-FM in Ashland, Oregon, along with our online partners, Blog Talk Radio, and, of course, our host station, Cyber Station USA Radio Network. And we are now also heard on Stitches. You can download that for free on your cell phone and listen to us anywhere, anytime in the world. Uh, this is yours truly, Chuck Morse, and I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan. Patrick, how are you?
2: I'm pretty good, and of course, it's Music Friday today, and we're going to be listening, we're going to be interviewing a woman who takes those pesky kids out of the garage where they bang away on their drums and turns them into real bands, so that should be kind of interesting. And Absolutely. Uh, Of course, we're going to hear some of that music. You actually just heard a little bit of it. That was Rolling Foxtrot, and uh, there'll be much more of it later on the show. Coming up, um, very
1: interesting guest, Chuck. Um, uh, Miko Pellet is the author of The General Sun. Um, He's going to be with us in about five minutes?
2: Uh, Yeah, about five minutes. Um, We have to call him. He's in a hotel because he's on a tour right now, but... uh, in about 5 minutes or so and um he's the uh son of a famous um uh Israeli general he was a warrior himself special forces and uh today he's a pacifist karate instructor in San Diego, California. That's going to be an interesting tale just how he got from one place to the other.
1: Right. And you know, in many ways he's a typ- he's typical he's a typical Israeli and he's a typical Jew in many ways in that we are, we're all very diverse in our opinions and sometimes violently diverse in our opinions. Although he does take it one step further, and we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, which I think kind of separates him from probably about 99.9% of Israelis, not to mention Jews. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how exactly he uh, he arrived at, at the opinions that he arrived at or what those opinions are. Well,
2: uh just just so we have a couple of minutes um I want to hark back to something you brought up yesterday, and you you sure. rightly um pointed out that the Supreme Court made a decision regarding public unions yesterday yeah. and that they um could not um uh, ask their their non members who are still who still have to right. uh, to pay union dues to, for special assessments for political campaigns but uh i had a chance to look at the decision. And I noticed that, um, as we talked about this yesterday, that they also decided that um, union, rather non-union members had to opt in rather than opt out of donating to political campaigns. And I thought that was kind of interesting, because when I went through the briefs, that wasn't one of the issues that was being briefed. Uh, and when I looked at the uh, oral, tes- oral testimony, None of the uh, the plaintiffs or the defendants ever talked about that issue. That simply wasn't on the, uh, the table. So once again, we have an activist conservative Supreme Court deciding an issue that's not in front of them just because they wanted to. And, in fact, um, two justices, Sotomayor and um, uh, Kennedy, um, actually pointed out that this was not something that they were asked to decide and that uh, in the future they would prefer to have... The opportunity to hear oral arguments before the majority makes a decision on something that was simply not in front of them, and a number of pundits have pointed out that this puts the Supreme Court in the position of being able, just able to reach out and decide on anything it damn well pleases without waiting for a case to come up, and that's a uh, a very dangerous activist court that makes it that turns it into essentially a um, a legislative body,
1: which of course makes it unconstitutional. Well, you could say that about Roe versus Wade, too, Patrick. And also, by the way, I agree with you. They, what they did was they, they put in the, the important thing, the 99% of that decision was the decision itself, which was does a public union have the right to forcibly take money out of people's paychecks who are not even in the union without telling them and then spending that money on political friends? That was the important decision. The sidebar issue that you bring up, which was whether or not they should have an opt-in, What the Supreme Court was doing there was they were simply coming up with a reasonable way in which people could, you know, and you're right, this should have been done by Congress to the degree that it's done at all, which is how, you know, to solve the problem. And I think they'll probably do that with the health care bill, too, which is exactly now that they've stated that it's unconstitutional to force people to give money to a political campaign without them knowing about it, which is the main issue of the case and which they did decide on, and which Sotomayor agreed with them on. The the question was, how then do you allow for the public unions to actually function when it comes to getting this money? And you're right. They shouldn't be deciding that. They shouldn't be looking at solutions to the problems. That's a political question. But the constitutional question, which was the majority of that case, was clearly decided, in I think, in favor of the Constitution. And I can't understand how any Supreme Court justice could go against that they can, of course, legally, but to my way of thinking, I can't understand how one could argue that it's constitutional for a public, sec- for in the public sector, a union, to take money out of people's paychecks, who aren't even in the union, and give it to political campaigns. So we should be very grateful that at least these people have enough common sense, let alone patriotism, to understand that that's unconstitutional. Well, I don't necessarily
2: disagree with that. What when I'm, argue, what I'm uh, upset about is the fact that this is the second time now that the conservative majority on this court has decided a case that was not in front of them, the first one, of course, being Citizens United. And uh, this, this, to me, is a very bad precedent. The court should not be making legislative decisions. That's no, not its I agree job, whether it's character.
1: liberal or, or conservative. We don't disagree, but the point is they did it just because they were trying to come up with a political solution once they made the constitutional decision. And, no, that should be done by legislatures, if at all. I don't think there should be any means by which – I mean, I suppose if somebody wants to donate money privately to a public union and give the political, they should. But, you know, I don't even think the government should be giving them a knock to anything. I mean, but, yeah, I mean, they they definitely tried to – if anything, they were trying to be more liberal by trying to ameliorate the fact that they had made this decision. And I don't think they should be doing that. That's like an extra. But that wasn't the main case. The main case no. clearly was a constitutional question. No. And I can't understand how anybody could decide against that. Well, and, and they didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah.
2: Yeah. But uh, I, I just hope that uh, the conservative majority stops making law
1: and stops being so activist. Because well, I hope they not all stop making law.
0: Okay.
2: Uh,
1: I would hope they all stop making law. You know, we've talked about the... The ruling above school prayer—that was, a, that was a, also an activist decision. I mean, there was nothing in the There was nothing in New York's state prayer that was violating. It was not a—it a, 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 was not a congressional decision. So, you're right. I mean, they shouldn't be doing any of it. But well, this wasn't a direct decision. This was just a sidebar to try to ameliorate the direct decision, which was an, which was what was in front of them and which was blatantly unconstitutional.
2: Well, the New York Prayer case—that was the case in front of them. In this particular case, as you said, this right, wasn't. But they should front never of have answer. taken. Yeah. They
1: should never have taken. If they were acting constitutionally, they shouldn't have taken the case. It was not their jurisdiction. Well, the I believe they, they
2: disagreed with you on that one.
1: Well, no, wait, The fact that they limit the fact that they even took the case was an activist decision. I mean, that's that's like taking a case that had nothing to do with the Constitution. That's that's a point that was made by the Solicitor General, and I think they were aware of that, but they went ahead and did it anyway because they wanted to make law. Well, and
2: they have disagreed with you, and right now we have to go on a break because uh, we've got to get a guest. So don't go away. You listen to Fairness Radio with Beck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and your radio affiliates. And we're going to uh, take a break, and when we come back, how a – Son of a prominent Israeli general And a man who was a warrior himself Became a pacifist karate instructor In San Diego Don't go away Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station
1: USA Network,
2: and our radio affiliates. And here's your host, Chuck Morris.
1: Thank you, Patrick. Uh, I believe our guest is with us, that being Nico Pellett, a ge- the book being A General Sun. Nico, are you there? I am. Ah, hi, thanks for joining us. Uh, your book is entitled A General Sun, which, of course, uh, gives the book its... Um, legitimacy, if you will. I mean, it's uh, you're, you're being read because you are the son, as you say in the titles, of General uh, so, and who was a, um, I think, a, a loyal officer of the of the of the Israeli Defense Forces, and a founding father, if you will, of the sovereign Jewish state of Israel. Um, and yet, uh, you've arrived at at a very different conclusion. Uh, that being that you feel at this point that Israel, as a sovereign state, uh, should not continue as such. And you make that case in the final two chapters of your book. Um, My question to you is this. Firstly, did you arrive at that decision because you feel that the enemies arrayed against Israel are so powerful that Israel is going to lose, or is it a more fundamental decision? Do you really believe that the the right of the Jewish people to live as a sovereign nation is not a valid one?
3: Uh, well, uh, you raise several issues here. First of all, the the book is not only called the General Sun; it's a General son and then Journey of an Israeli in Palestine, and the two are uh, the two are connected. So the legitimacy the legitimacy is not only because I'm the General son. The legitimacy also has to do with the fact that as an Israeli, I took a journey into Palestine, which is something that few Israelis have ever done. So th- there are two issues here. Um, my father was much more than a loyal officer of the Israeli army. My father was a was a general. He was a hero. He was one of the founders of, of the Israeli military, and he was one of the men who is... Um, who is uh, considered one of the one of the planners and executors of of the Israeli army's most definitive um, most definitive victories?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: After he retired from the military, out of concern. Oops I'm yes. sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah,
0: yeah. Out, yeah. out of
3: concern, out of concern for the well-being and the moral fiber of the Jewish state, he stated. And by the way, still well, in uniform, he stated. That occupying another nation, maintaining control over the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, where millions of Palestinians reside, will constitute a major a major uh, threat to the Jewish democracy. Um, he said that uh, he said that resistance resistance to Israel's control is bound to occur because the Palestinians have their own. Uh, you know have have their own political uh you know they, they have their own political desires for independence uh they have a willingness to live in peace with israel as as was proven by Israeli intelligence and that if we if we don't do this, the Israeli army will turn into a brutal occupying army over forty five years later Israel had invested billions of dollars into the West Bank uh to bring Jews there and making the, the that conquest making the occupation of the West Bank irreversible. And, in fact, creating what he was afraid would happen, and it actually has happened, a de facto binational state. In other words, the state of Israel is one state, but it governs about 5 million Palestinians and about 6 million Israelis. So the the state of Israel governs two different populations under different laws, um, maintaining a brutal regime against the Palestinians, because the Palestinians obviously resist, uh, wanting their own freedoms. Um, and the legitimacy for a Jewish state, for a predominantly homogenous Jewish state, in a country where half of the population is not Jewish, that legitimacy is lacking. I do not see that legitimacy. I see, mm-hmm. far more, I see, I see the transformation into a, into a democracy where everybody has equal rights. Everybody that shares the land also shares in the state as, as, as far more legitimate claim.
1: Okay well first of all the title the main title of the book is the general's son and i think that's why you you are being taken to a degree seriously because if you were not the general's son if you were just a regular israeli i don't know if you'd be getting the sort of attention that you're getting not to mention the cachet that you're probably getting in fact you are getting amongst israel's enemies now, as far as the, uh, Israel's occupation of Gaza, of uh, Judea and Samaria, that's a legitimate issue where people differ. But what you're talking about in this book, when you talk about uh, occupation, which you, when you talk about your, you know, solution, as it were, and I hate that word, is, uh, is uh, that Israel's occupying Tel Aviv and Israel's occupying Haifa, you don't believe that Israel as a sovereign Jewish state should continue. It's that simple.
3: Well, Israel is occupying Tel Aviv and Haifa. Um, that entire country had a different name. Until about 65 years ago, it was called Palestine. It had an entire population called Palestinians. It had a culture, it had a, it had a middle class, it had all the makings of, of, of a state-to-be. Um, and then in um, between the end of 1947 and the end of 1948, um, the, the Jewish forces made t- uh, were able to conquer 80% of that country, uh forcibly exile almost a million people and destroy upwards of five hundred towns and villages. So yes, I certainly claim that that entire country is occupied Palestine. There's no question about that. Okay and well, what, what happened with you you like to call it how, how is it that you ended up name, not I'm only
1: sorry? embracing the um the Palestinian Arab narrative on this topic, but I think exaggerating even that. I first of all I've never heard the figure that there are five million Palestinian Arabs west of the Jordan River. And I also have never Did yeah, no, you
3: educate you, yourself before you before you embark on an interview like this?
1: No, I have educated myself. No, I, 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 I have have th- yes, I have. I've looked at okay. the Israeli government's figures on that. And I've interviewed many people on this topic and it's uh-huh. not five million it's not five well, million. Well here there. Look, there
3: are about a million and a half Israeli uh, Palestinians within the state of Israel and there are about three and a half uh, there are a million and a half Palestinians in Gaza. That's three, and they're a little bit over two million Palestinians in the West Bank. So you do the math. You no,
1: know, I, I again, I mean, I, those are not the figures I've heard. So what are the figures know, that you've heard then? The figures I've heard is far less than that. And, well, what are the figures uh, that I, you heard?
3: How many? I've how many heard, Palestinians live within Israel, as far as you know?
1: As far as living within Israel, how many? Well, how many Israeli Arabs, you mean? Um, so I do think you can call the Israeli Arabs if you want, I, but they're Palestinians, yeah, Muslims, I, I, citizens of the state. Well, Muslims. they're Israeli Arabs, and I, I haven't heard that figure being a million. But you know, looks like it's off the track here. What did
3: I, you hear? What did you hear?
1: I don't really remember what I heard. Well, then that's an we important
3: get... figure, because if you're not familiar Thank with you. the facts and the figures, then it's hard to conduct an intelligent conversation.
1: All right, ben. How many people uh, do you we... think
3: live in the Gaza Strip? What have you heard?
1: Why, why, why don't we just say I'm wrong here, and I'm making it up and move on to the because next topic? Because this is okay? a key is issue. Right? Because see, really the problem have, in America, listen like, like, I don't want to get into too much of an argument. Minutes. The problem in only, America We only have 45 minutes here for, So I don't want to waste time on, No, no, on it's not a waste technical of time matter. Is the key issue I, Listen, uh, this The this key, key issue is that you don't recognize Israel's right to exist as a Jewish sovereign state That's the key issue That is one and, issue and, But the that, key, is that issue has to do with, with that, I,
3: that. I don't see any no, no, other issue You, you, you have to either, look, you don't either don't conduct an intelligent conversation Based on based on facts And if you're not familiar with the facts You shouldn't be the one conducting this interview This is a serious lack of understanding of the situation. If you are not familiar with the numbers of people who live on the land, there is no way that you can understand the conclusions that I reached. And the problem in America is that Americans, by and large, live in a state of myth. They do not know the facts. They do not know the facts. They do not take the trouble to know the facts, and they follow the the myth. And people like yourself are are, are propagating this mythology. If you don't understand that almost 50% of the population are Palestinians, then you don't understand the problem.
1: All right, then let's say there are 10 million Palestinian Arabs and 5 million Jews, okay, just for the sake of argument. You still don't recognize Israel's right to exist as a sovereign Jewish state. Of course not, because
3: half of the population is not Jewish. You can't have a Jewish state when half the population is not Jewish.
1: I take the position How can you
3: have a Jewish state when more than half the population is not Jewish? You can, I suppose, but it won't be a democracy.
1: Well, first of all, you do have a sovereign state, regardless of the population. That is the Jewish sovereign state. You have it; it exists. In case you haven't noticed, so it's it exists. But
3: I'm saying it's the not legitimate. The but, but it, but it is is whether or not it's legitimate.
1: No, I mean, I, I support you can't have a legitimate claim to the land when you, when you, when you only district. have
3: the population. That, that doesn't make any well, sense.
1: First of all, it, well, it's what it's, the, it's as the Israelis like to say. Assuming you're right, it's the facts on the ground. And I support the Zionist enterprise. I support you the can right support the any USP. enterprise you
3: want. The fact of the matter is that the Zionist enterprise accepted a notion of returning to the land of people that were gone for 2,000 years, and perhaps that is acceptable, and today it is certainly the consensus, but refuses to accept the return of, of refugees who were exiled who were still alive only 65 years ago back to their homes. So, you so think I mean, Israel we're talking about a double standard here of absolutely unbelievable proportions, and you're willing to accept that. That's your right. But the issue here is not politics or get,
1: opinion. The issue here is values. You, so and if your values and,
3: say that that's okay, that's yeah, fine. That's value.
1: That's right. And I would argue that value. And, by the way, I argue it with a respect for the Palestinian Arab position. I don't, I, I don't in any way discount that. I mean, I have a problem with you because you're an Israeli Jew, but I've interviewed many Palestinian Arabs who I think have a legitimate case. My argument simply is this. The Israeli case, the Jewish case, is the better case. It's not a matter of whether or not the Palestinian Arabs, whether they were there before the Israelis or not, which I actually don't think that's quite true. I think that they immigrated in around the same time as the Europeans. Okay,
3: well, look, if if this is your foundation of understanding and facts on the ground, I'm telling you seriously, you should not be conducting this interview because you are absolutely out of touch.
4: You Have don't you know how many people
3: the lived there. You don't know when they got there. You don't know who's oh. who. And you mean to I, I argue with me about not, a book that I just wrote, extensive research. That. I took extensive research yeah. was the background that I bring to that. the table, and you're accusing me? I mean, you're absolutely my out of your source, mind.
1: I mean, how could book, you possibly conduct an intelligent conversation if you're not familiar with the facts? You know something? My source on that is a book called From Time and Memorial by John Peters. Are you familiar with that book?
3: I've heard of it, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you. You might try. To, you might actually read it. It might give you an alternative view to the books you are reading, which I, haven't, I can only imagine. This is the origin. Excuse of me. You can only imagine. Uh, meaning what? Meaning, meaning that. What? You're, I'll tell you what
3: I mean. I mean, you're trying to you legitimate it, my point of view. You're trying to legitimate what I say, and yes, you don't even have the facts. I mean, no, this I'm is not, this I'm is, this is a, a level of Excuse me, said, I that, and I've been interviewed a lot. You bring forward and table a level a
1: level of arrogance I, I would argue that, that I am sorry to say is really the, your research and your narrative is based upon their side of, of what is a civil war in Palestine between the Jews and the Arabs, and it's an ongoing civil war. You have taken their side on it. Is not, there obvious. is no their
3: side. There's only there, the, There's, the side. The side is the side of people who either believe in peace and justice, or the people who want to allow the expansion, and the oppression, and the apartheid regime. And this is a value issue. It's not an opinion uh, or, or it's not an opinion issue. If you're not familiar with the facts, then you can't really take a stand. Once you familiarize with the facts, perhaps we should have this conversation again. And then we can talk.
1: Now, you've taken the side and you've decided to try to attack me personally because I've brought up the facts. No, and I'm not attacking you personally. Yeah, I think it's absurd yes, you you that you're, you're not something. I, I of don't fact. know what I'm I think talking it's a about. State of
3: affairs. And you're, and you're, that you're, you're, not you're, you're, you're taking
1: fact. certain facts out of context and you're wrapping them around, such as you say that Israel's killing Arab children and that kind of stuff. But yes, so you could we could probably go back.
2: Left. I have some questions too.
1: All
2: right, but let me just before you get to
3: that, Patrick. Do you want no, to talk you know, about can, Israelis killing Arabs? Please, let's yeah, talk we, we about Israelis no, killing Arabs. You're saying it's dead, absurd, we, so I, 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 claim, I claim a moment here to 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 say that this is not absurd. No, it, it's is this, not if absurd. You bring it's also, up, if you bring up a topic like this, you can't just throw it on the table and move on. That is a key issue here. The legitimacy of the state of Israel has to do with the number of people on the ground. The legitimacy of the Zionist regime has to do with the criminal behavior against Palestinians killing innocent civilians, including children. And if you bring that up, you have to allow me to answer that. You can't just throw it, on the, throw it there as though it's some kind of nonsense and then move on. You want to maintain so your position, or do you no, want to have a discussion?
1: No, no. I'll state my position. General Dwight D. Eisenhower, when he invaded the beaches of Normandy, when the United States started to drive back the Nazi Germans, they probably also killed children. They probably also killed innocent people in the course of that war. Uh, but, the idea is uh, the main question is whether it w- was the war a just war, which side w- did one take? Of course, Israel in the course of their war, and I think that they 've tried to be restrained. Well, look, thinking is not good enough. In this conversation, what you they think is not the issue. Are you familiar with the fact or not? What you think or I think is not the issue. the fact is that because you have decided to take the side, the no, no, I right have no, 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 not decided. I, I looked into Jews. it as
3: opposed to you. The
1: innocent Jews, including your own niece, who were killed by Palestinian Arab terrorists, instead you want to focus on the fact that in the course of their war for survival, unfortunately, innocent people have been killed. Is something that gets into a bigger question, which is which side are you on? It no, it gets, on it gets into is the it, bigger question. It gets into the bigger question of big what your
3: values are and what constitutes a war for survival. Let me give you an example. Okay, you threw this on the table. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this on. On December the 27th, 2008, at 11:25 in the morning, the Israeli Air Force began a 21-day attack on Gaza, where on the very first day they dropped 100 tons of bombs.
0: On the very first day, let me finish,
3: 100 tons of bombs, Gaza has no tanks, Gaza has no warplanes, Gaza has never had an army, Gaza has no shelters, the people in Gaza are locked in because of Israel and cannot escape, there are 800,000 children in Gaza, it's one of the most densely populated areas in the world, and in one day they dropped 100 tons of bombs on a civilian population. If you don't think that that is criminal, if you think that this is a war of survival, then you're absolutely out of your mind. And I'll tell you something about Jewish values. In the in, in the book of Genesis, when, 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 when God decides to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, the patriarch Abraham comes up to him and says, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God promises that if he finds 50 righteous people, he won't destroy the city. There are 800,000 children in Gaza, and nobody can justify factually By dropping God, 100 Jesus tons of bombs on those children Stop and then the telling militants. me that it's an opinion, it's a war of survival. That is the Stop cheapest, the silliest propaganda I've ever heard, and it's a question Stop of values. Militants. If you think you can justify that, you go ahead and live with I it, do. but this is not a political opinion. Uh, Stop
1: the, the missiles. Um, the the and, and also, God you. did destroy Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Patrick, go ahead. Uh, thank you. Uh,
2: Miko, we I read your, your book, and I, I was quite moved by it, and uh, it's presented me with the case that you and Chuck have been debating here that I don't hear much. In fact, I I don't think I've ever quite heard it before. Um, You've referred to a myth. C- could you give us uh, what you think the myth is that Americans hold in their mind about Israel and the Palestinians?
3: Yes, the myth is that since 1947, Israel has been under constant attack. The myth is that somehow miraculously Israel has been able to defend itself against this attack. The myth is that Palestinians left Palestine on their own. The myth is that when Israel drops attacks, uh, drops hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza, it's it's a it's a it's a war of survival on the Israeli part. The myth is that the Palestinian resistance is not justified resistance, but it's somehow some kind of a, an attempt at genocide. It's a myth that completely reversed the roles and maintains this notion that Israel is still, you know, like David and Goliath was, like the Maccabees fought the Greeks, you know, the small minority that's being, that's being uh, uh, oppressed and being pushed to the, to, to the sea and is fighting for its life. And this is not the truth. The reality is that in, is, is Israel has been constantly and, 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 and clearly on a campaign of ethnic cleansing to destroy the Palestinian people and take their land and it began before it began around 1947 it goes on to this day israel has developed a huge army that is dedicated for that purpose it has it dedicate it dedicates huge resources for this purpose it denies palestinians their land it denies them their water rights I mean, can anybody explain why Palestinians are allocated less water than Israelis per child per person? In huge, I mean, the differences are huge. Can anybody explain dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on a population with are 800,000 children and still justify this? I mean, there is a complete reverse of the roles here, and it's accepted here, and it's, it's because the Zionist uh, narrative has been accepted in, in in the United States, and it's a sad state of affairs. And like i was saying to I was saying to Chuck, if he does not know how many people live there, if he does not realize. What the relationship between the people is, if he is not familiar with the fact, he shouldn't be conducting this kind of a conversation. And this uh, is typical in America because uh, Americans don't know.
2: Uh, Miko, how do you think, and why do you think that this myth uh, exists in in America? Why don't Americans
3: uh, know? Because they have completely bought into the Zionist narrative. And why? Well, I think why is is, is 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 a difficult question. I mean, it's, it's it's one of the questions that people ask all the time. Why is America supporting Israel in such a blind, and and uh, you know without condition? And that's a, that's a, that's a complicated question that I don't know the answer for that. I think um, why is it why abortion. is it that that Palestinians are always portrayed as 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 uh, terrorists and Israelis are portrayed as victims is a, is is a very large question I think uh, you probably need to write another book on that. <laughs> well, but, but that's a question about joined. which I have no answer. That's not something I I can I can explain.
2: In in reading your book, I thought back through what I have learned, and I have been to Israel also, and I'm a retired professor of international relations, so I'm I'm not ignorant of of many of of these facts and these histories, and I. I sat back and I thought to myself, I have always been told that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East and it's America's only true ally in the Middle East and it is to for in America's interest to always side with the Israelis. Is that the the narrative that you think is prevalent in the United States?
5: It
3: is. it is. It is. It is. It's a myth. that's prevalent. It's myth. The first myth is that Israel is somehow a democracy. Israel is not a democracy. Uh-huh. Israel has always had an oppressed, an oppressed minority, which were not Jewish. Israel has always had a minority, and there that the, the has there's been legalized discrimination against this minority from the very beginning of the state of Israel. Um, and why Israel is more of an ally than any other any any other country in the Middle East, it's, it's, it's hard to say. The truth is that Israel is a min- is, is a democracy if you're Jewish. It's a democracy if you're Jewish, so if you completely, completely ignore the fact that there's an, an Arab-Palestinian population which is oppressed and, disc- and against which there is, there is there is legalized discrimination within Israel, then of course you can say it's a Jewish state,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and then you can justify the existence of a Jewish state.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But when you realize that there's a there's, there are millions of other people who are not Jewish and who do not have equal rights and do not have human rights respected and do not have civil rights not to mention rights to the land and to water and to go to school and other things, then you realize that this is not a, it's not a democracy. This is one of the myths I talk about in the book. Israel is not a democracy. I, only I know, a democracy I if you're Jewish. Uh,
2: let me ask you about the, the second half of the of what we've been taught in, in the United States, and that is that support for Israel is important to America's self-interest. Do you think that's not the case?
3: I think it's only true in, much as Israel buys... Probably close to two billion dollars worth of weapons in the United States, and that's good for American economy because selling weapons is a big thing in America. The, the weapon supply, you know, a large portion of the money that Israel gets from the U.S. comes right back here in terms of you know loan guarantees, of course, and 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 it uh, uh, comes back here in in, in, in weapon sales. And yeah. so from that perspective, perhaps it's good for America. Beyond that, I don't see what other value there is. Um, Certainly not as a democracy.
2: There, the there's a larger uh, set of circumstances, a larger set of conditions here that are very complicated. And it's what I want to tell our stations. We're going to push the brake a little bit here. Uh, there's a larger set of conditions here that make this very complex, and that is the Arab states surrounding Israel and throughout the Middle East and then uh, the Muslim nations throughout the world um, are not always America's friends and as we have seen that we we've seen attacks on the United States perpetrated by by Muslims not not by Muslim states and not by Arab states but, but, but by Muslims we see um Iran apparently trying to enrich uranium for a bomb although they're denying it but and the facts of that aren't clear um uh, and many people in both the American public, the American media and the, and the American government feel that Israel is an ally of the United States in providing logistical, intelligence, and possibly even military assistance, if we ever are find ourselves in a either an, a, a clandestine or a, um, a hot war with any of the Arab states. Do you think that is an unreasonable assumption to make?
3: Yes, I think it's completely untrue. I don't think the Arab states are are not friends of Israel. Let's take Egypt for example that's been receiving, you know, 3 billion dollars a year from the US over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Let's take Jordan which is funded, you know, the 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 royal family is funded by the United States. Let's take Iraq, you know, not, Saddam Hussein was most of the, most of the time that he was in power, he was funded and supported by the United States. Yeah. Um, Most of the Arab countries surrounding Israel are actually good friends of the United States and have been getting money and and support from the United States for many, many years. So I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why the Muslim states are considered not friends of of the United States. But the reality is this, that in that part of the world, as in Europe, as in Africa, and as most of Asia, people realize that on the issue of Israel, there's a serious, serious um, uh, misunderstanding in America or misconception in America. Or desire to live in myth, and they will not put aside the fact that the state of Israel was built on the ashes of the Palestinians and their land and their homes, and that is the thing that puts, uh, that puts, so to speak, uh, some kind of a, uh, some degree of separation between the Arab and Muslim world and 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 the United States. And the United States decided to to, to side with Israel for whatever reasons uh, it, it can, and then it builds this whole myth that there is some kind of a rift between them. You know, the Muslim world has, has, has not has not been a problem f- for the United States. I think if we if we take a close look, then and look at uh, uh, you know specifically at the facts, the, the side that's been attacking more, and the side that it's been that has been that has been uh, uh, causing more casualties to the others, not the Muslims to America, but the other way around. And Israel, and uh, with its with its American weapons and American support and American money, has been killing more Palestinians than any Palestinian has ever killed Americans. So I think there's a very, very serious double standard. There's a very, very serious kind of twisted way of looking at the reality in order to support these policies, these policies of supporting Israel, these policies of, 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 of painting and, and, and picturing the Arabs as dark and as incapable of democracies and as incapable of pluralistic. Uh, the reality is also that, that for the majority of the last 50 years, the Arabs have been trying to make peace with Israel, and Israel's insistence there has not been peace, the reality is also that Israel has made it a strategic objective not to make peace, but to make sure that it's the most well-armed and feared force in the region so it does not have to make peace. And these are the kinds of facts that you cannot possibly be aware of unless you look at it deeply. And there's a desire in America to keep this this, this very, very shallow point of view on the region. Is you know and law- that also I'll say one more thing I'll just I, sure. because it extends to the way Americans American Arabs and American Muslims are viewed I mean there's this whole notion in congress there's this peter king thing you know in in the last year i believe there were 14,000 murders in america not one was done as a as a result of 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 muslim extremism you know, out of 5 million, and I believe there are about 5 million Muslims in America, how many were actually caught, how many are actually were actually were, were, were indicted and sit in prison that for, 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 things that they, for, for for terrorism in America? Very few, maybe a handful. And, if, and even their convictions are, are in question. So I'm saying that, that there's, a no, there's a desire here to adopt the Zionist narrative and then to expand it here in the United States at the expense of an entire, not just the Arab and Muslim world, but the Arabs and Muslims within America.
2: Well, let me ask you this: um, uh,
1: what Patrick, you call... do I get
2: another question here or not? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose. Uh, you are running out of time and already... you want one. Thank you.
1: No, I'd, I'd like to uh, just uh, respond to a couple of things. First of all, again, Nico, I would urge you read the book From Time Immemorial by Joan Peters, an American uh, diplomat. Um, worked for CBS. You know, pretty, pretty not not necessarily someone with an extra grind. Um, and maybe we could come back after after you read that. Um, I agree with you that the United States has no strategic interest in supporting Israel, never did, um, and that is one of these narratives that's false. Israel has no oil, Israel has very little money um, you know there 's always been a, a group in the American establishment, especially at the Council on Foreign Relations, going all the way back to uh, George Marshall, that would rather have just flushed Israel down the toilet because they could make a lot more money with the oil-rich and mineral-rich Arab states. So the reason why the American people do support Israel, and that includes liberal and conservative, left-wing and right-wing, a Democrat and Republican, is because of a basic understanding of fairness, the basic belief that the Jewish people have a right to exist as a sovereign people alongside all of the other nations of the world, including the 22 Arab nations and the Islamic world, which stretches all the way from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And there is a sense of fairness there. It's not out of self-interest. The United States has no interest. We would do better if we got rid of Israel tomorrow. Israel serves no purpose for us. It uh, is a moral issue, and it is, a, it is frankly, a Judeo-Christian issue, too. Uh, real quick, uh, we're, you're listening to Fairness
2: Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And we're talking with uh, Miko Peled about his book, The General Sun, A Journey of an Israeli in Palestine. Miko.
3: Chuck, I still haven't heard a question. I'm not
1: asking you a question. I'm making a statement here. Oh, I'm I thought the there was a
3: question because he said, "Man, no, I going no, and no, ask no, a question? I, I am a host here. Let, let me, let me, yeah, let me respond you very- to your statement then. I'll respond to your statement. First of all, uh, in, in all honesty, and, and, and not to make this a personal issue, but between the two of us, I think the one that is less informed, is, and you've proven it in this conversation, is you.
0: So, yeah, I, you know, would, so I would right, take
3: issue with you I telling look, me to read to read books. I think you're the one who is definitely at the very f- two minutes, very first two minutes of this conversation. you've proven without any shred of a doubt that you are less informed than I am. So you're, all your it recommendations, the, you know, uh, set aside. I, I suggest that you educate yourself first. Now, as for as for the fact that Americans, liberals, and conservatives um, support but, Israel, uh, that is true. I but it because this is because there's a serious lack of understanding and a serious lack of, of knowledge that exists in the U.S., when Americans learn of the human rights violations and the criminal brutality with which Palestinians are treated by Israel, that support that. will dwindle. And I think the no, people that will lead not this, it the has people people that will lead this are the going to be American Jews. Jews. American Jews are going to be the first ones to ask the, uh, the U.S. to stop supporting Israel once Internet, there's a clear understanding of the brutality of the Israeli regime against yeah, the Palestinians. There's no
1: evidence of that. You have no evidence that the support by you're right. Probably American Jews might be a little more vulnerable to that kind of propaganda, but you have no evidence of support. This is not propaganda,
3: that, excuse me. You know,
1: from the very beginning me. of
3: this, you have been entirely a hostile, chick, uh, Chuck. This is absolutely nothing to do with propaganda. It's if you want to have a, con- a conversation, educate yourself, and then we'll propaganda. talk about the fact. There is not, the not a single, not a single, not a single. Not a single claim that I have made in the book or in, your, in my no, conversation said, with you, said, you that is not again, based on facts. And if you don't like that, don't call it no, propaganda I, I, admit that you're ill-informed. And I'll say no, no, one more so. thing about Judeo-Christian values.
1: Uh, I'd like to no, a little bit talk about facts here. We could talk about facts Hold on, on Let me finish. Sides. Let me
3: finish. I'm replying to your you, comment you, here. Hold no, on. No, no. You, you mentioned Judeo-Christian values. You know, up until about 40 years ago, there were no Judeo-Christian values. The Christian value was to destroy Judaism in Europe. So this whole notion of nonsense of Judeo-Christian values is completely, completely absurd. It's no, this new conservative notion not that somehow Jews and Christians have something against Islam. There are far more values that, that, is, that Jews share with Muslims than they do with Christians, if you want to talk about it that way. Christians, no, I'm talking, about, well, of I,
1: I'm talking about the fundamental thing, which is the belief in fairness and the right of... People to have oh, because Muslims in, don't in believe in
3: fairness and the right of people. Of
1: course, I mean, no. And again, one billion as Muslims as I, as are I all, before, all
0: completely, completely Muslims, uh, all completely. Do thought.
1: not believe in this. No, 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 no. I did say clearly, and I'll we'll, we'll go back to the very. It's a racist thought.
3: notion. I it understand. is a white supremacist, racist white. notion
1: that there are Judeo-Christian values. No, I understand. I'm telling the, you this the Arab side, as I said, I just think that the Jewish side is the more persuasive side in the debate. And you could talk about atrocities committed on both sides, as you well know. But the point I'm making is that I would argue that in the, in the battle between the right of the Jewish people to have a sovereign state in, their, in Israel versus the Arab right to control Israel, the Israeli right is the better argument. I'm not saying that
0: there yes, are. Yes, but you're not
1: informed. You can't make that
3: claim, Chuck. You're not informed.
1: If you don't know I, how many I people mean, live there, you can't make
3: a claim. Opinion. It's my if opinion, you don't know how many
1: people live there, then you cannot make any claim on who has the right to do what. As, as I said, I don't care how many people live there. Well, then, you can't, opinion, make this, then you can't be part of this conversation. If you don't I, care how I many people live there, can. you cannot be you part know, of the conversation. No, all right. As I said, I don't care if it's 10 million Arabs and 1 million Jews. I believe in the right of the Jewish people to have sovereignty in Israel as a Jewish state.
0: Okay.
3: And what, and what about the, the, the millions of Arabs that live under there? They don't have a right? They
1: have rights, and I think that they probably have more democratic rights in Israel than they do in other Arab countries, actually. Well, then you're, you're wrong. No, I'm not wrong about that. Then you're that. wrong.
3: It's another and, one of those also, ridiculous you, you white supremacist that claims, another one, one of those ridiculous white supremacist racist claims that is not true, that is, that is factually not true. And, again, you place yourself in a position where you make these claims as though you know something. But Birod, not, and every time I, I ask you a question, Jews, you are not, not familiar not with the facts. are all the
1: same race. What are Both you talking are, about?
3: Make, uh, make you are me making me that you claims, that, and you that don't know the facts. And you shouldn't be making claims. No, no, no. You no, it it brought yourself. up
1: race. I mean, the Israelis are the most multi- – Israel's most multiracial nation in the world besides the United States. And, and that includes the Jewish population. Yeah. My cousins in Israel are Arab Jews. They come from Morocco. They're not, They're not white. You know what are you talking about? Ladies? You want to talk about the Israel plight of the Arab a, Jews is in Israel? Israel? Israel do you really is want to bring up Arab the plight of the
3: Arab <laughs> Jews and what they had to go through—the humiliation and racism they had to go through oh, in Israel? I reject that. you reject that? Do you, do you reject that? Well, you can reject them, it all you yeah, like, yeah, to, the but you're Muslims, ill-informed.
1: You, know, the, the you are Jews ill-informed is, if you
3: is, don't know about the about the racist uh, the racist discrimination against Arab Jews in Israel and what they went through when they when they when they, when they came to Israel.
2: Miko, let me ask you something about what you wrote here. Um, and this is a quote uh, from your book Israel has always insisted that it will determine the nature of the solution and the Palestinians must be resigned to accept it or suffer the consequences of continued oppression Israel will permit the Palestinians a level of independence that Israel will determine based on its own perception of Palestinian compliance with Israeli interests the best Palestinians may expect is that Israel will at some point permit a limited autonomy on selected areas of historic Palestine, areas that will be selected by Israel itself. The notion that the two parties need to reach a solution as equal parties is inconceivable to the Zionist state. Do you really think that, that there's not a movement in Israel to, to create two separate but more or less equal states? Is, is that, Absolutely, is that not. Not Absolutely
3: not. The uh, most, I'm saying the within most, the Israeli you know, people, not the government. No, absolutely not. I mean, well, the government is elected by the people in Israel. Isn't there
2: a very strong peace movement in, in Israel?
3: In no, there hasn't been for, for a good 20 years. The the, the, best Ameri- the best, look, Israel Israel's most peaceful government, most, most, most you know, left-wing liberal government, has put in place three no's in terms of negotiating with the Palestinians. The first no is no to negotiations on the Jordan River Valley, and that's about a third, close to a third of the West Bank. The second no is no to negotiating on the expanded boundaries of Jerusalem. That's another probably 10 or so percent of the West Bank. And the third no is no to uh, negotiating on the major settlement blocks, which are a big chunk of the West Bank. These three no's are are equal to one thing. They are equal to no to a Palestinian state. The only reason, the the first time Israeli governments were willing to talk about the creation of a Palestinian state, which was in the early 90s, was when they knew for a fact that the facts on the ground will not allow it. And those facts on the ground were created by successive Israeli governments, many of them, of course, labor. The facts on the ground, the settlements, the billions of dollars of investment, the cities, the towns, the highways, the malls, make it an absolute impossibility that a Palestinian state will ever be created in the West Bank. And once that was accomplished, that is the first time you hear Israeli politicians actually agreeing Two, to a talk about the creation of a Palestinian state, but always bringing to account those three no's.
2: Well, as, as Chuck rightly points out, Israel is there, and it's not going away. So at a practical level, if you were able to uh, de- define a solution to the Israeli-Palestinian tension, uh, what would you what would you want to see happen there? No,
3: I, I disagree with you. I think the Jewish people are there and they will be there and they have a right to be there. I think the state of Israel as a Jewish, racist, Jewish state, cannot does not have any legitimacy. And I think a, what's going to happen is is a transformation as a transformation of, of, of Israel as a as a segregationist a racist state to a democracy where all ten or eleven million people who live there have equal rights. Race has nothing to
2: do with So, with this, you're talking about an Israel that is actually an Israel-Palestine. Yes. Uh, do you do you think that's actually a practical solution that that can
3: happen? Absolutely. And, and how? I mean,
2: would, based on what? Yeah. How would you? How would that happen? Now, if well, based
3: on, based on, I'll tell you what. Based on several things. First of all, that when, 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 when almost half the population, you know, you have you have two nations that that constitute about half the population. Each is about half the population, and they share one country. Then there is no other realistic solution. Number one. Yeah, number two – We saw the fall of apartheid in South Africa when people thought it was impossible. We saw the fall of the Mubarak regime when people thought it was impossible. We saw the fall of the Soviet Union and and dictatorships in in South America when people thought that was impossible. So there is a process by which evil dictatorships and evil regimes fall and are transformed in a nonviolent way into a society and and, and a political uh, situation where everybody has equal rights. And that is, like you say, in Israel-Palestine, it's exactly what we're talking about. It, instead it, of Israel erasing Palestine, it, it's Israel embracing Palestine, and we have equal rights, and everybody goes to the polls together, and everybody picks their
0: prime right, minister
3: it. and their and their parliament together, and everybody shares the country together, and everybody appreciates the fact that the other side has something to bring to the table, both culturally, both politically, both in every in, economically and economically in every other way. Not where one side tries to manipulate and monopolize the other. This is the message of the book and this is the, and this is going to be the nature of the solution. And the reason I'm optimistic is because Israeli and Palestinian societies are very similar in this way. They are both largely middle class, they are both highly educated societies. Both of them have a very a very substantial, not very big but very susta- substantial upper class of politicians that are very corrupt and they want to get rid of. They both have a small but very annoying and very dangerous fundamentalist religious uh, extremist group, and the only way that the people in the middle who are the majority are going to get rid of these two is by working together in a state that they share, just like they share the land. So this is a very positive thing. There's always, you know, the twist on this is that somehow we're talking about the destruction of something. We're not talking about the destruction of anything. We're talking about the creation of a new reality, about a, a, a new future for Israelis and Palestinians working on this together and building a future together because, like you said, they're not going anywhere. The Jews are not going anywhere. Palestinians are not going anywhere. There's no question about having the right or not having the right. They have a right to be there. They all have the right to be there. What nobody has the right to do is have the right to be there at the expense of
1: somebody else. Well, unfortunately, we'll have Disneyland at the end. Disneyland is about what that amounts to. Um, Nico, I want to thank Well, the- Disneyland
3: is an American notion and it exists very well, so maybe that's not you the best want, Yeah, you want to
1: import it to Israel. The General Son Journey to an Isra- Israeli And Palestine. Miko, read the book from time memorial, and maybe we'll talk again. Yes. Thanks for joining us. Patrick, we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. Please stay tuned. Thank you, Miko.
3: Thank you, guys. See you later.
1: Network. This is yours truly, Chuck Morse, uh, and uh, we're joined, of course, by my co-host, Dr. Patrick and Patrick, we just had on Nico Peled, the author of The General Sun. You know, Patrick, I've been doing radio now for probably over 10 years, and I should know better. I made a cardinal mistake in that interview, but it's one of those subjects that I get emotional over, and I have trouble no matter how many times I try to tell myself. Um, I allowed myself to get sucked into a uh, A technical sidebar issue that in which he then used that as a way to attack me, and then that became the subject and that's sub, and you, whenever you're dealing with a propagandist, no matter whether they're left or right, it doesn't matter they 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 have this sort of set agenda, they've got all of their facts i mean you could have you could pull up facts that show that black people are not as smart as white people. Does that make it true? No, you know one can bring up facts to prove a lot of things. One of the things I disagree with, by the way, on Van Jones' remarks at Netroots Nation, that the left is involved with facts, and now we have all these left wingers marching out saying, Yes, we're based on facts. Well, facts are fine. (laughs) It's like the marching orders. I guess it's better than last year when you had Howard Dean make it sound like a Klan rally. But but the fact is that facts are facts, but they, they, they have to be put in a context in order to understand them. It's not intelligent to go around just spouting facts that are selected. In a way that makes one's particular argument, but the fact is that I got sucked into getting involved in a factoid, and I should never have let that happen because it, it was he was then able to use that to to hijack the interview and and start attacking me and we had a lot more important things to talk about, I think, in that interview uh
2: and yes um and, well first first of all uh, let let me say that i I disagree with your comments on van jones and 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 howard uh, Dean, but that's not what we're here mm-hmm. talking about right now, and also wanted to let our audience know that um the strange noises you're hearing in the background Chuck is not in the studio he's uh on on assignment, so you may hear a few strange background noises. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with chuck or our equipment or anything like that um yes and and you know, I talked to, um, as, I, as I mentioned off the air, a relative of mine, actually a neighbor of his, and I talked to my relative last night just to find out a little bit about what to expect. And I'm not surprised. Um, he, I was told that he is very controversial, and now I know why. Um, I, I think there's two things happening here, Chuck, and, and you may disagree with me on this, and, and I, I, I don't mean to be confrontational here. I do believe that many of the the real facts of what the relationship is between the Israelis and the Palestinians is not well known in the United States. I do think that that we have been told uh, a story in this country which has excluded some of the Israeli um violence toward the uh Towards the Palestinians but has not, And maybe has, has hyped Some of the Palestinian violence Towards the Israelis I think we've also been told a history That isn't completely true either That I think there is much more To what he says about Israelis Taking Palestinian homes And turning it to Israelis Than we have been told here That being said And I know you probably disagree with me On some of that That being said uh, I think the important part of this conversation Was what next and you're absolutely no, right. I mean, Israel's, yeah. uh, Israel's there. It's not going anywhere. The Palestinians are there and they're not going anywhere. And we do need to figure out what's next. The ultimate solution that he proposes, I think, is a solution that everybody agrees should happen. However, like many visionaries,
1: he. I, I don't think part anybody agrees that that, that should happen, Patrick. He's calling oh. for the dismantling of the state of Israel. I'm, I'm sorry? He's calling for the dismantling of the state of Israel. Not everybody agrees with that. Well,
2: the – okay, the, uh, right. And, of course,
1: uh, obviously no, uh, everybody
2: doesn't agree with that. I, I think the, the the what they agree with is that Israelis and Palestinians living together uh, peaceably is what everybody would like to Well, say. everybody agrees with that, of course. Now, the, the – where we disagree is uh, how that happens And what he skips over And what many visionaries skip over Is the steps that are taken to get from A to B And when he said that he thinks that could be done without violence I, I think that that's not true I think if well, we tried to that, that there his,
1: will be violence But his solution is one that is fantasy land it's, uh, it, it involves not a Zionist state Not a Jewish state with the Israelis are being basically a minority in their own country, and that somehow that's going to end up being a benevolent situation. I don't know where he gets that idea. That, that's completely bizarre. and well, I, know where he gets it.
2: Uh, I know where he gets it, and he rejects the premise that it's Israel's country. And when, once you, right. once you but, reject and he that does. premise, then the rest of it follows. Now, you disagree no. with that premise, obviously.
1: Of course, of course. And also, you know, he not only rejects that premise, but then he goes on to say, but yet the Jews of Israel will be able to live peacefully and, and in love and harmony in, in a non-Jewish state, which is completely unfounded. And, you know, he talks about having facts. He doesn't have anything to back that up. You know, he talks about the the dissolvement of the Soviet Union. Well, that resulted in a bunch of new sovereign states. And and some (laughs) violence, too. We have to take
2: a quick break and then uh, welcome in our uh, our radio listeners. So hold on a second.
1: And we oh, and are back. There on this radio with Chuck and Patrick, I'd like to welcome aboard our affiliate station, WWPR A M in Tampa Bay, Florida, KSKQFM FM in Ashland, Oregon, of course Cyber Station USA Radio Network, our host station, Blog Talk Radio, and Stitches. Patrick, we're talking a little bit in this brief time about Nico Pellet and his book. Um I don't th- I don't think that first of all he's right about the history of Israel. I would urge people to read this book called From Time Immemorial by Joan Peters if they want to understand the history of Israel and of of the Jewish people versus the Palestinian Arabs, they both basically arrived in the country around the same time. Uh, You know, the Arabs came because they wanted to um, profit from the new economic opportunities that uh, the European Jews were bringing. And also there was a huge influx of, of Jewish Arabs, including my cousins, into Israel who were just as Zionist as the Europeans. The Europeans did not invent Zionism. It was very much an Arab-Jewish phenomena. As far as the way Israel is portrayed in the United States, I think that quite the opposite. Israel is portrayed as violent, especially since 1970 when the U.N. invited Yasser Arafat to speak while wearing a gun on his holster. Since that time, the dialogue generally has been anti-Israel. It has generally been atrocity propaganda against Israel versus uh, atrocities committed by uh, enemies of Israel against Jews. And that the uphill struggle has been to present the Israel position. It's not, you know, that, that's how I see that, and and I could point, you know, to a lot of evidence to back that up. Um, okay, so, I understand that you see it that way, and and
2: many people do. Um, and I also understand that uh, there are disputes on the the facts of the founding of Israel. In fact, we just heard one of those disputes, and it may be in a situation in which uh, we're never going to get back to the truth. Uh, and, and what also, we need Patrick, to, his, to do is look forward uh, on this his. and see what kind of uh, solutions we can have. Now, I realize that people will say if you don't get the facts on the history right, you're not going to get the future right.
4: Um,
2: I think we have to get beyond that. I I don't agree with you that uh, Israel is presented in a in a. A violent form, I think the overwhelming public opinion in the United States, and I'll have to look this up is it is positive towards Israel
0: yeah, it is, in
1: spite of the fact that Israel has been presented in a negative light around the world since Arafat, but yes, Americans remain very pro Israel in spite of this kind of propaganda, and and that includes both both liberals and conservatives yeah, um, you know so true. so it's it's and also I really resent his accusations that there's something racist, that he enters the race issue into this, that shows a very left-wing orientation to
0: no him. No, and no, also, no, wait, 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 wait. You're equating
2: uh, liberalism with racism, and that's absolutely no, untrue. No, I, 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 I didn't that mean that it that way, Patrick.
1: I did well, not you mean it that way, but you're wrong. I did not mean it that way, Patrick. Okay. Let, me be, uh, let me be precise. I mean this idea of race propaganda like these people are racist and those people. That kind of accusation of, of Israel as being a racist state, which is what he said, is generally the sort of a, the jargon you, you hear on the left. I didn't say the left itself is racist. That's another subject for another day. Now, the, the, you know, I just, I, I really resent, because Israel is not racist. Israel is the most multiracial nation in the world, besides the United States, and or Jews are, are of all races. Judaism is not a race. You know, there are there are European Jews, there are mostly, Israel is mostly, probably about 55 to 60% Arab. Middle Eastern
2: Jews. Actually, isn't Israel having a real problem now with, um, with with black Jews being harassed and intimidated by white Jews? There are
1: some cases of that, Patrick. I'm not saying it's a it's a totally you know yeah. harmonious society, but it's it's a multiracial society, and there have been black Jews in Israel since the founding. In fact, there was a huge settlement of of uh, Yemenite Jews who are black. In Israel, long before Israel became a sovereign state, so Israel has always been a multiracial society. That's why to say there aren't tensions between races. And the Ethiopians, uh,
2: Jews, of course, are some of the oldest Jews in in in, in the, the world. The
1: earth. They go. To, that's right. They go back to. They they trace their ancestry back to Solomon, according yeah. to their own legend. So I mean, this this is this kind of can is really, you know, it, it shows that he's, he's into some kind of propaganda. And also, Patrick, I would just say that this guy, Nico Pellet, he is getting all kinds of glory and, and awards and bouquets thrown at him from Israel's enemies, not just the Arab and Islamic enemy, but people on the left around the world are buying his book and are interviewing him, and I think he's enjoying that experience.
2: Well, of course, of course he would. I mean, you enjoy being interviewed about your book too. I mean, yeah, but no I'm not. i
1: right? You're yeah, not being interviewed about my book too. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. I'm not enjoying being interviewed by my book because I'm throwing some kind of a rock, and 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 marketing it so that people like me. Because I mean, look at Louis Feuillacon that enjoys his selling his book too. I mean, there's a little difference here. I'm talking about the fact that he's enjoying the attention. And yeah. the accolades that he is getting, and no one's giving me any accolades, believe me. Well, well
0: they should be. The attention,
1: change. well, but they don't because I don't, I don't do this. No, he is enjoying the accolades he's getting because he's, uh, frankly, and i would sorry to have to say it this bluntly, he's a traitor to the state of Israel. I can imagine his father must be spinning in his grave. His father was a loyal Zionist. You know, sure way they, 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 you know, he was had different opinion on on issues of what to do with the West Bank. But he wasn't. Ca- he wasn't calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. He wasn't referring to Tel Aviv and Haifa is occupied, which Miko Pellet did on the show. That's not his father. His father was a devout Israeli citizen, and it's this is really, you know, he's been taken into this. This is this is, by the way, typical. By the way, of a lot of children of famous people. I mean, I've seen this before. Okay. Well, uh, back
2: to topic at hand. Um, I appreciate the fact that we gave him time and I also appreciate the fact that there is another story to tell that we here in the United States tell uh, hear about Israel. Um I think that his idea for the solution is never going to happen and his his, his thinking that it could ha- that it could happen without violence is uh highly naive. Um but it but I think he's on to something in saying that if there are six million Jews and five million Palestinians, at some point I this is doesn't. going to be a well. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to accept his numbers on on that because look uh, into it, Patrick. He, look into that. That's I, I will. Yeah. Um, uh, and one of the reasons why I've, I I accept that to some degree is because I'm I'm hearing things out of the Israeli government about the uh, the problem and also from my my Israeli relatives too. But I. I, that this is going to come to a head, and if in fact uh, half of the of the population of the land of Israel is not allowed to vote and not participate in the political uh, process, his charge that Israeli is not a true democracy is, has carries some weight to it too. And we all know, um, maybe we don't, but um, that. Countries that attempt to suppress populations or countries that have populations that feel they're being suppressed, whether they are or not, go through constant turmoil, and sometimes they don't last. And I think that um, we do have to continue to look at how the Palestinians and the Israelis are going to begin to live in peace, and both sides need to make uh, some concessions on that, because in the long run, if they don't live in peace, it's going to be damaging for Israel, too. And that's just my opinion on this. And that
1: Israel is not a democracy. And then he went on to say that Israel is a democracy for Jews. I would simply point out, and by the way, that's not true either, that Israel, but the very fact that Israel is a democracy for Jews makes Israel a democracy compared to every other Arab and Islamic state. Of course. So, no, I mean, he did, to... no, but I'm just saying that he did, you know, he was speaking both sides there. And also, Arabs. The Israeli Arabs do have the right to vote, and they do vote, and it's a pretty prosperous and successful group of Israelis. This whole idea that they're somehow oppressed, did, that did is a lie. the Palestinians
2: in Gaza have a right to vote? They voted for Hamas, didn't they? But do they have a right to vote in Israeli elections? Yeah, they had a right to vote,
1: and they voted for Hamas. In Israeli after elections, Israel can they no, for the Israel, Israeli after, prime after, after Israel withdrew from Gaza and handed it over to them on a silver platter yeah. and, and ethnically cleansed it of all of its Jews and gave them tens of billions of dollars, yeah, they had a vote, and okay. they voted for Hamas, and then they started lobbing missiles. And he's also wrong about this idea that Israel bombed, dropped millions of tons of bombs on Gaza. That's completely false. He said 100. Israel actually. went out We should have on some people who actually were involved in that operation, which he's living, he's there teaching karate in San Diego, hasn't been in Israel in 20 years. The people that were there were dealing with 6,000 missiles being fired from Gaza into Israel, and Israel put the lives of its own soldiers at risk to avoid as many casualties as possible in their attempt, and a successful attempt, to get those missiles out of Gaza so that they would stop firing them. Sounds like,
2: self-defense. It sounds, Chuck, like that something you said early on in the interview was correct, that um, he, as we all do, uh, selected facts to back up his case. We need to take a break. Uh, no, we don't need to take a break because our next guest isn't on until um, uh, another 15 minutes. Just let me tell our, our listeners that uh, they're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and on our radio affiliates. Now you're very, you're you're correct uh, Chuck there's a lot of things in, in which he is glossing over or totally skipping um that uh he, that don't build his case. I still come back to how are we going to solve this problem in a way that is just going and democratic and is right and protective of uh, protective of Israel?
1: It's not going to be solved and Patrick I've given a lot of air right. time I've given a lot of air time to people who take his position. And I, and I think they've gotten a lot of their time. The difference is that I usually give it to people who actually are Palestinian Arabs yeah. or people who are involved, not Jews who have taken this side. That is something that I, I kind of tr- usually draw a line on, as you know. I just uh, it's uh, there's nothing that I find more distasteful than a turncoat. You know, I mean, he's uh, especially one whose father was a founding father. That would be like George Washington's son coming out and declaring that he was in favor of the British. I mean, it's a, you know, to me, it, 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 it's just not – it's very distasteful. And, I, again, I think he's doing it because he gets a lot of his money for it, selling his book to to gullible left-wingers and to Arab enemies, and he's making the tour and he's getting all these people gushing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times on my cable station I've seen him being interviewed by uh, Laurie Goodman over at Democracy Now! They keep replaying it and replaying it. They love him because he's calling for the dismantling of Israel. It's well, a disgrace. Well, then it I, then really I applaud you for
2: suggesting that we book him on the show. Then
1: I didn't, I didn't suggest it. You just booked
2: them. I never said. No, I never no,
1: been. I got uh, an I, email I, from you. I, book, I, would, I
2: would have never known about him otherwise. To
1: book Nico Pellin. Oh, yeah. okay. Maybe, maybe I did. I, <laughs> I, I, I know that I've heard of him. So, um, so take the applause. <laughs> no, thank you, Patrick. I'm glad you clarified that because I was a little annoyed that you booked him. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know that, that I was the one who that, – I'm glad you clarified that. No, look, I mean, his uh, his position, again, I mean, and, and as I said, if he was listening, but I don't expect him to listen, is that I respect the Palestinian position. I just don't think it's the better position. I think Israel makes a better argument for the right of the Jewish people to – Exercise their sovereignty in, in their homeland. And also, his history is completely skewed. There have always been Jews in Palestine. In fact, the word Palestine used to describe a Jew. You know, there's a great synagogue, it used to be, they destroyed it since. But there was the great synagogue of Cairo, which had been there for hundreds of years, was called the synagogue of the Palestinians. Who were they talking about? Well, my
2: understanding, Chuck, and, and I'm not a historian, is that both Jews and Arabs. For at least three thousand years, have lived in what we now call
1: Palestine. Well, there've been always Jews and non-Jews in Palestine. i not about Arabs. The Arabs didn't come until the eighth century, when um, when Abu Bakr, who was the ger- the main general of Muhammad, conquered uh-huh. Palestine from uh, from the uh, Romans or from the Byzantines. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a Christian country for hundreds of years, well settled, and they then began imposing ma- Islam on. Palestine and on the entire Middle East. So no, it hasn't been three thousand years. It's been maybe about a mm, thousand years, maybe about fifteen hundred, and uh, the actual Arab control of Palestine has only been maybe three hundred years at most. Aha. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. All right. Yeah. It's been so. Prior to that, it was controlled by the Egyptians, the Canaanites,
0: the Assyrians, the
2: Babylonians, etc.
1: Exactly, and the Romans controlled it for almost a thousand years, including the Byzantine the Eastern Roman Empire, and, where it was a Christian nation and Your position is that the
2: Israelis
1: have have been the one common thread through all that history exactly. they have constantly been a population of israel of Jews uh, you could call them Israelis, you could call them Palestinians. The word Palestine is just the word for Israel before it became sovereign it's you know, like um it's like Rhodesia changed its name to Zimbabwe when it became sovereign, or you know Burma changed its name to Myanmar, or Ceylon changed its name to Sri Lanka. It's just that when a nation becomes sovereign, they they often do that. They change the name to something that's more generic to, to who they are. I mean, the word Palestine is just... A, I mean, my my great aunt, who lived to be 93 years old, she had a gigantic coffee table book with a big blazoned across the front, it said Palestine in big block letters. And then under it, it said in script, the land of Israel. I mean, is you know, Palestine is the name of, of Israel. The Palestinians are Jews. You know, in a sense, the Arabs have expropriated that name from us. You know, it's it, it's part of, I would contend, a piece of uh, propaganda, a piece of marketing. Okay, um... I guess so. I was looking
2: at the board uh, to see if uh, Jeffrey was going to be with us. I know Jeffrey is still in, in Brazil, and it looks like he's he's not been able to call in. I know that's been it's been very uh, difficult for him. He's at the Rio Plus Twenty conference there, and the last last week it was difficult, and this week it looks like he just can't do it. So for our listeners who were looking for Jeffrey Lean, he's not going to be with us today. He'll be back next week.
1: All right, Patrick. Uh, I mean we should get an update on that Rio conference. I I'm curious to know what's going on there at this point. Um well from what he said last week uh, not yeah.
0: much. <laughs>
1: well, as you uh, know my opinion on that my opinion on that is I hope nothing, but that's that's my stand on that. I mean I, I mean they could come out with some I think the proper role for a conference like that would be to come out with some general statements about what they think is the best course forward for nations regarding environmental policy. I'm not against that. But this idea of having a formal ratifying agreement, I'm against that, and I urge all nations to avoid that. Well, uh, it looks like they're not. Uh,
2: they they may have a, a ratified statement, which is different than an agreement. That's uh, merely a statement of principles. But uh, no agreements, of course, agreements take take much much longer and, and have to be uh, ratified by all the uh, the countries involved. Um, so i will find out from uh Jeffrey, uh what happened maybe he can give us a uh, a, a report uh next week cuz it doesn't look like he's been able to get a call out of uh brazil and once in a while that does happen we we just we can't we can't quite do everything but we try it right. but but we That's try. Right. yeah well in any case um it's uh what we, we can put aside the the question of israel right now and take a look at iran um, Sure. Have you been watching the the conference uh, with Iran?
0: No, what's going on?
2: Well, there's been a, a an ongoing uh negotiation directly with the United States, uh, several other um um countries and Iran and uh they've been trying to reach an agreement on Iran's next step and the uh the United States' position has been that you stop your 20% uh uh enrichment Right now, and we will drop some of the sanctions. If you don't, we're going to add some more on. Uh, Iran's uh, position is we're not doing 20% enrichment, but we're not going to let you uh, look and see. Um, And as of this week, the Iranians have have dug their heels in. They said we're not going to um, um, go along with what the United States and and Europe wants, but we're willing to keep talking. uh,
1: You know, Patrick, it sounds to me like ominously like the same. Situation that was uh, the run-up To the Iraq war You know they they didn't want to have the inspectors Come in and then they let them few of them Come in to look at just this And that on this day and that day And they kept saying we can keep talking And there was just all this kind of A a standoff until eventually The UN had a resolution calling for Iraq to um, Um, to, to Let let that happen So I mean
2: that's not my recollection. In fact, uh, my, my recollection is that the uh, the the UNIAEA inspectors were, were were allowed pretty much throughout Iran, and they came back and they uh, with, with a pretty thorough report. And uh, we can look that one up. Yeah,
0: but, we should uh, look what, that what up what one the up. the United States's
2: so. uh, response on this was well. Yes, you can do that, but we're but we're not going to let you stall while you uh, put more while you enrich more uranium. So if you want to stall, uh, we're going to start making the sanctions hurt even more. So they're kind of back at the table now, and uh, we'll see if anything happens. But uh, apparently, the um, the sanctions are beginning to have some very serious effects. Uh, not only on the government, but also on the, uh, the nuclear program. Many, many parts have been stopped coming in. Many of the networks that the Iranians ran, business networks that they ran, have been shut down, so they can't buy stuff the way they used to. And there is some doubt as to whether or not they've actually been able to enrich that 20 percent, that they've just kind of been leaking that as a le- leaking the news that they did, not the 20 percent. Uh, leaking that to, uh, to provide leverage, but they may not have actually been able to do it because of the Stutniks virus. So that, that, I think, is kind of a positive uh, um, response there. And the other positive response is most of the Arab nations are strongly supporting the United States' uh, position uh, in the negotiations with Iran. Iran is finding itself more and more isolated, except, of course, for um, Syria and um, And it's and it's and it's a diplomatic mission inside of Iraq. Uh,
1: What about China and and Russia? Are they uh, on board with it? uh, No, no. uh,
2: China and Russia are not on board. In fact, uh, Putin and Obama. uh, I don't know if you saw the picture of them at the uh, reception in Rio, but they were very cold towards one another. The body language said it all. They. They could not have sat in the same room and leaned farther away from one another if they'd really tried um China keeps talking nice things but keeps uh, buying things from iran so um, so they're they're not
1: they're not really, well, then uh, that that kind here. of undoes that kind of undoes the effort i think, and also we can't totally know what Iran is doing i mean it's a, you know it's a very close society.
2: Well, it turns out we may have a lot more intelligence inside of Iran that uh, we've been letting on. The uh, Stutniks uh, virus was actually inserted into Iranian computers by somebody on the ground there. We had an agent who actually... Right, right, exactly. It seems like we get a lot more out of them than uh, we think, uh, than than we're letting on. Was it an American agent? Uh, No, it wasn't wasn't an American agent. Nobody's saying what kind of an agent. All, All we... All we can deduce is that because the Iranian computer system is not connected to the Internet, the only way that could have gotten in there is through a um, somebody putting a, um, uh, a memory card into one of those computers, and that had to be an Iranian scientist or worker who was um, an agent of either the CIA or MI5 or Interpol.
1: Well, you know, that person obviously had a lot of courage. I, mean, I yes. think, Patrick, we probably know more about that than we should know. But, you know, we've talked about that. This is like part of those leaks. that Well, have this, come out of, the leaks. Uh, this is deduced. Well, no, one of the, there was a leak about the Stutniks as one of these leaks oh, that have come right. out of the White House. Right. And uh, just uh, it's another subject. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah. We've already talked about that. Um, but, um, you yeah, know, these I are very, very serious operations. It should be done as with as much secrecy as possible. I mean, it's like the Manhattan Project. It should be absolute secret. Uh,
2: okay. you know, <laughs> um, I'm finding out that the Manhattan Project was actually not as secret as we think it was.
1: Um, there was well, you a- know, what the, the brilliant part of that, the Manhattan Project, and you're right, it wasn't as secret as we think it was, Yeah. But but the thing that made that what it was was that you had different people doing different things in different locations and no one was told what the other people were doing and so you had this, except there were a few people at the top who knew what was going on. Yeah. You know, you had people in, uh, in Alamogordo doing one thing. You had people at the University of Chicago doing one thing. You had people at, the, uh, at that plant in uh, Tennessee doing one thing. And, and it just there were just a, a sort of out-of-context pieces of a project of which they weren't sure what they were working on, but they had very specific goals with a couple of people at the top coordinating the overall picture. So, I yeah. mean, that that's what was so amazing about the way that was done.
2: Yeah, it was called segmentation. And apparently there was a small community at the University of Chicago that figured it out, but they didn't say anything. Right. Um, and, and I've, I've uh, because a number of my uh, professors at MIT were involved in that, um, we read a lot of books on it. We need to take a break, and when we come back, it's going to be uh, Music Friday. So don't go away. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. On the Block Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And when we come back, we're Music Fridays. Stay tuned.
1: This is Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick, and we switch gears and discuss and listen to, hopefully, some music. And to help us do that, we're joined by Patricia Duffy. Patricia is the founder of the Music On and Up Showcase, in which over 600 young performers have participated. Duffy is also the creator of the 2011 Teens Rock America concert. Patricia, thanks for joining us this afternoon.
4: Thank you for having me.
1: Tell us about your uh, project. I mean, this is great. You take garage rock bands, and you uh, you give them something to do.
4: Absolutely. We try to motivate them by inviting them to participate in our showcases. We've been doing them at the Hard Rock Cafe for a few years now, and we invite all genres. So we have rock bands, we have pop singers, uh, R&B, uh, you name it, singer-songwriters, pretty much covering all music genres. And it's just a great motivating opportunity for them because they get to practice more and get out and and be seen and heard by the public, which is usually the hardest challenge for these young kids.
1: Oh, it's a huge motivator. You get a young person getting to play a gig live at a big club, these being the Hard Rock Cafes, and possibly, you know, as the old saying goes, they could be discovered, (laughs) (laughs) right? I mean, they're recognized.
4: (laughs) Oh, that's actually happened. We do have some management groups that come to our shows just to sort of scout the kids, yeah. and a couple of them have actually been invited to join you know, different recording studios locally and work on original music, so that's been exciting. But what I like about it is, I kind of feel like it's a great jump start to their young music careers, because right off the bat, they're able to put down on their resume that they performed at the Hard Rock Cafe, which we know is not always the easiest place to perform at, <laughs> unless you're yeah. a national touring star. So um, so that that's great. It just gives them all that extra boost that they need and they get excited. And then the other, you know, part of this I think that's really really great for all of them is that they need each other. Because in each show we have between 30 and 35 performers and they are coming in from all over the country, actually. The mm-hmm. last show um, we did was a 14 and under show and we had some bands, to bands from West Virginia come.
1: Well, no, it's very exciting and yeah. you know it kind of reminds me of the movie School of Rock with Jack Black. <laughs> right? I mean it's uh yeah, yeah. It,
0: and
1: and it's also it's very good for young people to not only play an instrument but also to, to uh, jam together and it's 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 a plus all around. I mean it's just a great program. Now, uh, do oh, we absolutely. have some, yeah. Yep. Do we have some music queued up Patrick to play? Uh Lars
2: has some music queued up? Uh Lars, do you have a song for us? Well.
1: Out. Hello? Hello? Yeah, we're here. Okay, Lars, if you if you're listening, please let's hear a cut or two. Okay. Uh but Pat- Patricia Duffy, you you're doing this uh, in various cities around the country. Um eight of the music Sorry about,
5: sorry about that. Here we Jack. we uh, uh we actually have uh the first song up in the queue is by the band Poplar and it's called uh It will rain. I'll take a listen to it right now. And again, okay, that's
1: a uh, uh, with lettering. Th- thank you, Laz. Patricia Duffy is our guest. Uh, Patricia, you um, showcased the documentary, Bully to Silence. Tell us about it.
4: Oh, yes. Uh, we were contacted by the producers that were working on the movie, and they were looking for some original music, as well as stories of young teens and children that had been you know, challenged by being bullied So we ended up um, Getting the word out there And presented Eight young Singer songwriters To them Ranging in age From as young as Twelve to eighteen And they put Their music In the movie Which is exciting And several of them Were actually cast in the movie Wow And Good gentlemen If, I, if yep. I can
5: get a question In here real quick Um Sort of because I want to go back real quick to, to Poplar um, Patricia, yeah. can you sort of tell us a little bit about that band and um, sort of how, oh, sure. that, how that, of course okay. they're
4: one of my favorites since I'm managing them directly <laughs> um, oh, wow. what I discovered in doing all of the shows at the Hard Rock is that there were a lot of great performers that didn't have contacts out there to put together a band so one day when I was driving home from work I thought yeah. I'm just going to put together my own band because I know, you know, 600 or so young musicians. I know who's, you know, looking to do something like this. So I um, ended up having an open audition process, and people came in from all over New England, and then we selected the band through that process. Um, And within eight weeks, they performed at the Hard Rock, and then within a couple months, they performed at Showcase Live, and since then, they've been pretty much all over. Um, they're going to be doing several engagements in Boston this summer, um, including the new Rock the Mic series, which I'm working on with Bristol Studios. Mm-hmm. And um, coming up, you know, in the coming weeks, they've got some, you know, fun summer events. They're going to be at Hampton Beach this summer.
0: Great. So we're, we're
4: excited. We're having a lot of fun with them. Wow. right Okay. And, yeah. The um, youngest is almost so twelve we... years old, by the way. Really? Our no,
5: I was, was gonna say, yeah. say, and he's the drummer of the group. Um and you know, the the band has sort of two front people, uh, Colin and Rachel. And and that's one of the other interesting things about, about the band Poplar specifically is that um you know, they're they're two front people but they're both they both have their own personalities and they both sort of step out of the way when um the other one's up there. Um
0: well, is that yeah. ever
5: and sort of an of issue in terms of having two front people, Georgia?
4: Having to what? What was the question? Having to having two,
5: two, having two front people, like for instance oh, with Pablor, we well, well,
4: what we do. Rachel is our, our is our lead singer, and what we what we're doing with this band, which I think is extremely unique, is we are inviting other performers to come in and perform with the band. We do have our core four, and then we bring in other performers. So as an example this summer we'll be bringing in a bass player to join us uh, for some of our larger gigs. Patty, if you have and your then, radio um, on And then we'll also have other guests, solo performers. Rachel is, you know, our lead singer which She sure if you, can you turn down, down your radio
2: yeah. we're getting an echo. Excuse me. Okay. We're we're getting if you have a radio on we're we're getting your voice echoed.
4: Oh, no, I don't have a radio on. That's okay. interesting. Huh. All right. Okay.
2: Go, go ahead. I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> um, so yeah. So what we're doing I think is something very unique because we want to keep this band as a development band. So that they're they're always working with celebrity mentors and other people that are working with them to improve their music. So we ended up um connecting with Mark Delcour who had been on tour with Britney Spears for twenty seven months as Britney's music director, and he is actually their our band's music director now, um, which we just, we're having a you know a great time with. He's doing a super job with the kids, and um, at the Hard Rock show just uh, a couple of weeks ago, he actually performed with the band. He's an incredible musician.
0: So we'll, so more, and uh,
4: yeah,
5: I want to make sure that we get some more of the music that you sent us over uh, because there's so many talented musicians that you work with and. And uh, certainly a lot of uh, amazing bands. Um, the next one we have up is uh, "Better Side of Me." So let's take a listen, and, uh, and then we can sort of talk about it after after okay. the music. So. And that song is called "The Better Side of Me." Patty, do you want to tell us a little bit about it?
4: Yes, that is uh, a song, an original song written by Charles Coleman, who is the lead guitar player of the band Awesome Express. And if you're a teen band in this region, you definitely know who Awesome Express is because they're they're usually at the top of the lineup in any competition that they're in. Uh, they won the Berkeley Battle of the Bands in 2011. They were the number one band at our showcase finale. They came in second overall in the grand finale at the Hard Rock, uh, which we had back in in February, this year, February 2012. And now they are um, in contention in the NEDG1 Battle of the High School Bands. It's a 21 and under uh, battle that's happening in August. They're going to have their grand finale, and they won the events they were in. So, um we work with them a lot because they're they're very popular with obviously the teen crowd. Last summer we booked them to do a couple of uh Camplified performances in Connecticut. And um they're you know one of those bands when we have an opportunity you know, to bring a couple of bands together for an event that, that we call. So we do a lot of their bookings with them and um it's a great group of kids. The Lead singer Charles Winston, sixteen years old. Uh, he is also been in our shows as a solo performer. as You can hear from the vocals. He's very, very talented. He also plays keyboard. So it's it's a group of you know very super talented teens that work very, very hard together. They are uh, practicing all the time. They um, came together. Two of them through the plugged in band program based out of Needham, which is a really wonderful. Uh, development program. That's, I got, I think, you know, probably over a hundred or so young performers training there, and um, that's pretty much their story. They, you know, they're popular. They're doing great. We love it when they come to, to our shows, obviously. Um, Batty,
2: uh, could I ask you a little bit music. about Sound Off? Yes. Uh, Sound Off I know is going to premiere on CBS's T V thirty eight and it's got nine of the strongest teen vocalists from across New England. How, how does the how does the voting take place? Who actually decides who wins?
4: Who decides who wins the show? You mean or who right.
2: selects
4: who wins? Well, all we're the gonna, above.
2: Gonna, right? How are they selected okay. and how are they voted on?
4: Oh, okay. We're having an open audition next week. Uh, Bristol Studios uh, from 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Wednesday night in Boston and then at Jam Spot in Wakefield from 4 to 8 o'clock also next week on Thursday night. And um, we're gonna, I'm actually going to be in the judging panel. I usually don't judge shows, but I've been um, appointed as the casting director for this, so I'm actually going to be on the judging panel for this event. that. But... Um, we will have the director of Sound Up also in the judging panel and some of the other production team members. So what we're going to be doing next week is having the uh, live auditions, and we're also still going to accept online auditions through July 17th to you know, finalize our list of the top nine that will be participating in the TV show. Now, in answer to your question on the TV show and how that's going to work, we're going to have celebrity judges and also a combination of that and, long, and online voting during the live shows. One of the shows, is an example, is going to have 200 teams invited to it, and they will be involved in casting votes for their favorite performers. It's very much like an American Idol format in that not everybody will advance, and then it will end up that we'll have three finalists for the, for the grand finale, and those three finalists will each perform an original song written by a very famous songwriter in um, in L.A., and then we will work with local studios to develop a music video. That's the format of the show. Um, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for these young kids. The Ages 13 to 19 are eligible, and um, there's never been anything done like this that I'm aware of. For the young market, obviously there's great shows for the adult market, but not for the young, 13 years
2: old. Well, so you're going to have 200 teenagers there and a whole bunch of bands. This is going to be quite a scene, uh, Chuck. If you have an opportunity, it might be fun to go down there and watch.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, also the, um, I've always liked the um, Hampton Beach uh, Casino. What a great venue that is. It's really fun. Yeah, I mean, so- I can imagine it must be a ball for these kids.
2: So, do they show up? Um, with they, they have an act together, uh, or they just play one song? Um,
4: a, For the audition, a, they will be playing one song. What's going to happen with the actual program is that they're going to be working. It's all. It's kind of like a like a music camp. They'll be working every day with uh, choreographers, styling teams, vocal coaches to strengthen their skills so that they're ready for the live shows. And um, they'll be working with them, obviously, the further along you get. They'll also be working on the music video and the choreography for
5: that. And if I can get a word in that choice, guys. Uh, And, Patty, I was looking at the the schedule for that. Kind of glad I can't be uh, entered into it Uh, because it looks like a lot, (laughs) a lot, a lot of work. Um, But one of the questions... (laughs) that I really hadn't and wanted to ask was, you know, dealing or working with, um, such young musicians, uh, you know, as young as 12 and, and all the way through, you know, 19, I guess, with this, uh, audition process, does that present any problems? I mean, is that sort of, are there, are there problems that sort of present themselves when dealing with musicians, of this wide of a range, and also um, with you know those really young musicians like twelve, thirteen, fourteen.
4: Uh, well, these you'll be surprised. These young twelve, thirteen-year-old musicians are very experienced, and some have done up to a hundred engagements despite their young ages. We work with one band uh, with music on enough. I've been working with them since they were seven and eight years old. They've done almost four hundred engagements. And they're right now they're 13, 14 years old. So you'd be surprised; these kids are out there. I mean, not all the kids obviously in the show are going to are going to have that level of experience because we do hope we find, you know, the diamond in the rough, raw talent out there to give them an opportunity like this that they never dreamed of having. Uh, but, but on the other side, you you have the very experienced musicians. Um, we will be presenting the parents um, a very detailed kit for the sound off show so that they will know exactly where their young performer is every minute of every day. And there will be chaperones watching them and following them from one studio to the next. So that's um, what you're referring to. We definitely have you know, a
2: very detailed package for the parents. Is um, one of your major challenges dealing with stage moms and dads?
4: <laughs> Do I have to answer that?
2: <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs>
0: right. uh,
5: I was going to say, well, we- to save Patty from that question, <laughs> let's uh, cut to no. another of the tracks uh, uh, that Patty's provided us. Uh, this song okay. is called no, Beautiful Compact. So. your
0: question. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh,
5: so this song is called Beautiful Comeback and let's uh, let's take a listen to it real quick. Uh, Betty, you want to tell us a little bit about that song?
4: Yes, that is actually a follow-up song to another song called The Same, which was the duo's first anti-bullying song. Beautiful Come Back is pretty much considered to be their second anti-bullying song. The first song has over 250,000 views on YouTube, the duo together because all their videos have over a million-plus views on YouTube. Uh, These songs uh, are very relatable songs to kids their age, obviously with how tough the bullying situations are out there. Uh, They are only um, 13 and 14 years old. I've been working with them since, as I said earlier, they were seven and eight. In the beginning, the boy, Michael, started out on his own playing guitar and singing, had him at Boston Celtic playing the national anthem. That was one of his first gigs, and then slowly totally but truly, Marissa, his sister, started to join him on stage. And now together, they're writing music. They're working on their fourth uh, production right now. They're going to be spending most of the summer in California working on the next four songs for EP that should be released soon. Um, but they are a group that that live local but they travel nationally. Last summer they opened for Cody Simpson and Grace and Chance from here to Pennsylvania to Texas. So they're you know, they're all over the US. They've performed in every made you know all the major cities, LA and Nashville and all over Texas and Pennsylvania. So, um online they're you know, they got a big presence and a big following, um
0: and uh
4: they just love it, just love it. They they write and work together hours a day, all that while being straight-A students and <laughs> everything else that goes along with their lifestyle. They're it's, it's very busy. The, uh,
2: the very, level very busy. of talent that is available in this country uh, just boggles my mind. Uh, if I hadn't known about her, I would have thought that uh, she and her band were you know, platinum sellers, uh, and now you're telling me that they're, they're going to high school and keeping their grades up. Um, I'm I'm glad I'm not in uh, in the music business because the competition <laughs> <know>. is horrendous.
4: <laughs> oh, it really? Really? People is. are so and good. We're continuing. We are so surprised, and we have our showcase events because we started here more on the local level, and now, as I said, I mean, we're we're getting. Performers coming to us from all over the country. In our last showcase we had nine states represented on the application front, we had five represented in the show. And overall I would say we probably have had over fifteen different states represented in the shows that we've done. And we see no end to it and which is why we started out with a nineteen and under, then we went to a fourteen under and this year we did an we did an eleven and under show.
2: Well, we're just about out of time.
1: Uh, Um, Patricia, how can people find out more about you? Do you have a website where people can go to get more information?
4: Well, what we are doing um, is we're setting up a website called Songrific, which is going to enable young performers to upload their original music and, and also corporations to license that music. So that's a whole separate project. We're all on Facebook under the Young Formers Club. That's pretty much where all of our activity takes place and we post all our events and what's going on in the Young Performer Universe. And um, Sound Off is out there. They have their own Facebook page and they're on the entertainment site, Um So there's a lot of different sites out there, but you can link up. To so many places Just going from one to the next To learn about what's happening out there And you know, our mission is to really change the climate Out there for young performers And I think it's happening Because we've got Rock the Mic happening in Boston This summer It's another young performer event That the Bristol Studios group is working on Plus we've got Sound Off We've got our hard rock shows We're doing the Hampton Beach gig So we're out and about And you know, making things happen Which is a big thing Well very
1: good I applaud your work well well done. And, well, uh, we'll thank we'll you, guys, for having
0: time
1: us. Time. Huh? Have you a great time. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, well, Patricia you. Duffy, uh, marketing business, books, young talent for events nationwide, Participated in the movie Bully to Silence. Uh, thanks for joining us.
4: Patrick, thank you for having us.
1: Turn. You. Our pleasure. We'll we have, have, to, see you, to, have you to see
4: you at some of our shows. You guys have to come yeah, to our, I'd our check, show.
1: I'd like to check that out, definitely, especially the one in New Hampshire. Okay, yep.
4: great. see you. That's August the 14th. Okay, cool.
1: Very good. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. That's, That's it. I sh- We shall continue next Monday at the usual time, God willing, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
0: And Carla. check out our
1: blog site uh, at uh, fairnessradio.com. Um, and
0: uh,
1: we'll uh, we'll see you all then. Have a good weekend, everybody. And don't forget to listen to Mike Siegel. You'll see the Cyber Station USA Radio Networks.
5: And we're going out with Rolling Foxtrot.
2: Cool. Fairness Radio. All right. I'll see everybody next week. And it's we we start Monday with Carlos Bowman. Oh,
0: good.